right, uh, before uh, we uh, took a break, we were speaking to Dr. Riva Balmahun, who's uh, at the CSIR Research Group leader for the artificial intelligence. And I had asked her, what does she do day to day? What entails being a person who is um, a group leader for artificial intelligence? Dr. Balmahun? Okay. Thank you very much. Um, what we're busy working on and, and, and what I work on doing is actually leading the AI and AR, which is artificial intelligence and augmented reality research at CSIR. Um, I'm currently leading a dynamic team that's looking at producing cutting-edge research and working solutions um, across industries. So what, what we're basically doing is investigating ways of using AI techniques and methodologies. So these are things like machine learning, natural language processing, to allow for better insights and data-driven decisions to be made. We're basically looking at actually mobilizing the emerging technology of augmented reality um, to enhance these insights that we develop through artificial intelligence. Um, some some people actually believe that AI poses a threat to humankind, and there's others that believe that it's the best possible way forward. So we're working on finding patterns in all types of data, which can be used to make better quality decisions, so that the value of AI and um, augmented reality can be realized. Very interesting, and uh, it seems that it really needs someone who has studied hard and you know in- extensively. So, what was your um, uh, study field uh, specializing in? I specialized in computer engineering. So, I am an engineer by qualification. I have an undergraduate in computer engineering, and my PhD is also in engineering as well. Um, but I merged this with uh, this deep technical knowledge with an MBA. Um, to bridge the gap between the technical and commercial environments. Wow, very, very, very interesting. And I think it's exciting to know that there's a woman in the forefront when it comes to artificial intelligence here in South Africa. We're also joined now on the line by Dr. Nomusa Lamini, who's a food scientist and CSIR principal researcher. Nomusa, Dr. Lamini, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, and uh, good morning to you, Patricia, and to our listeners. And uh, I'm honored to be part of your um, panelists. I'm excited to have you as well. Uh, tell us, what do you do as a food scientist day to day? Oh, well, <laughs> as a food scientist, basically, we, um, on our, in our projects, we look at things like product development using natural ingredients. Some of our pro- projects focus on um, indigenous biodiversity and how we can formulate them into nutritious foods, into foods that, are, um, that use technologies, creating convenience, and also um, looking at even extracting some active ingredients to promote our health. In terms of nutritious foods, we target uh, things like, um, you know, trying to alleviate malnutrition in communities, trying to develop nutritious foods, we work with uh, small industries. We also do um, research with our indigenous knowledge holders in terms of trying to commercialize their products into food products. We know that uh, traditionally we've had a lot of plants that people eat, but most of them are, have not been commercialized. So we look at, for ways of how to innovate around them and introduce them into the mainstream food value chain. 
So basically, you put the yummy back into our food, but make sure that the yummy also brings nutrition to us. What did you study, Dr. Zamin? Um, I studied, well, I just started from, my basic degree was a, a BSc in biochemistry and biological sciences, and I considered to then specialize for my master's into a food science. Then for my PhD, I did uh, food science and technology, basically combining the science and technology, which is the development, but the science understanding each and every component and how it's affected by technologies or different processes and how then our bodies may react to it <laughs> in terms of absorbing nutrients or even reacting to 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 to, uh, to things like gluten that might create al- allergies. So yeah, when you formulate, we make sure that we do disclose even on the contents or even advise the person developing a food product that what they need to say in terms of the level. Dr. Balmahoon, I mean, in your field of study, are you finding that a lot of women are coming into uh, the field or are they still intimidated uh, by the thought of artificial intelligence? I think that there is a move towards more and more uh, women getting involved in the field, but there is still a dialogue of of females um, involved in artificial intelligence. In fact, um, a few years ago when I visited Microsoft um, in the United States, we saw that less than 40% of their tech positions were held by women. That statistic holds through to today because the World Economic Forum's 2021 gender um, gap report has actually stated that only 32% of professionals in the data analysis and artificial intelligence field are women. So there is still a dialogue um, of, of women in the environment. And I think it's due primarily to two main reasons. The first is, that um, there's a lack of female role models. And the second is that there is a stereotype that says that women cannot be involved in the STEM environment. Mm. So that stereotype, how do we break it? I mean, if less than 40% of uh, those employed within Microsoft in in the technology space are are women, how can we up that number? How can we entice people? How can we remove the stereotypes? I think a lot of it lies in creating more and more female role models in the environment um, because it's quite easy for a female to look um, at somebody who has achieved, um, you know, a a leadership position and then want to aspire to to be involved in that environment. So creating more and more female role models is very important and also canvassing the word of more females getting involved in, in the field. If we say that the future is female, then science is definitely something that we should be making sure that our young women are going into. Please call in if you've got questions. My guests are Dr. Reva Balmahoon, who's a CSIR research group leader for artificial intelligence, alongside to Dr. Nomusa Lamini, who's a food scientist and a CSIR principal researcher. We are talking women in science. You might have a question or you might want to congratulate them for the great work that they are doing or comment. You can do so by calling in on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp 0614-104-107. Dr. Lamini, you know, you touched on uh, indigenous foods and uh, how you as a food scientist alongside with your team are very involved in ensuring uh, that uh, indigenous foods are are researched well and are also given their, their place on the table. How many of our indigenous foods have found their place on the table when it comes to science as well? And, um, and, and how can we make sure that more of them are on our plates? Okay, 
In terms of giving you a number, um, I can't give you a number per se, but what I can say is that, um, you know, the mainstream crops that we grow in currently, most of them are not indigenous. We've heard of maize struggling with drought if there's a little bit of rain. Um, and also other crops that, like rice, wheat, which do not grow very well in our environment. In terms of indigenous foods, like you found their way into mainstream, we have sorghum, millets, that are, are really drought tolerant and are suited to our environment. And they are also, more, in terms of when you analyze them for the nutrient content, they are more nutritious. And increasingly, the world, we know that um, in terms of climate change and water scarcity, we need to identify more and more alternative foods. And in terms of traditional and indigenous foods or food crops, they have largely been untapped. So there is a huge potential in terms of what we can do and where we are going at. Yes, it's strange that our own indigenous food is not produced as widely, but we need to really, you know, increase the, you know, that's where food science comes in basically. Make food products that are developed exciting. Make young people want to eat them. Make it tasty. You know, uh, and of course, food science is not all about that. It is about, you know, um, using technology to have this product on the market. Like we have very many products that are based on maize. You have maize grain. Uh, sorry, you have maize. You have your corn kelp. If you look at rice, you've got rice grains. You've got uh, even things like um, rice cakes and so forth. We can do the same with our own indigenous crops. And I just named a few, but there are several, even other grain legumes, like uh, we call it bambara or in Hugo, Nemo, Nemo. And then we also have cowpea in Dumba, which, um, although they are there, they are still under under processed and underutilized. So we really need to really start with those few that are cultivated. And of course, there are some that are not cultivated, like we have our indigenous species, vegetables, amaranthas. Or amaranthas, um, amaranthas is in Buya, and then Kiom or Tepe. Then we have other, also many other indigenous species of Tepe, which are numerous, which I cannot go into right now. But yeah, there is a huge potential in terms of um, the research we can do to bring forward. So what we've done so far, we have... Um, Taking these, working in partnership, of course, we don't work alone, we also working in partnership, especially if it's a new crop. Not, not, I can't call it new, but if it's been used and people normally harvest these things from the wild, we have to develop cultivation practices. We work with Agriculture Research Council in terms of developing the cultivation practices, optimizing production because we have to produce a sufficient amount, and then how that um, increase in production will affect nutrient content. Also these days we don't just we don't just talk about nutrient content. There's also other stuff that provides health benefits. Yeah. People commonly call them antioxidants, phytochemicals that prevent um, diseases such as cancer or even assist with uh, control of uh, of conditions such as diabetes. And we know that some of our indigenous edible plants have been flouted for helping with COVID. And we drink most of our, most of our plants, we drink them as tea or even put them in porridges. And uh, yeah, so the, 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 
it's limitless what mm. we can do with our own um, indigenous plants and also doing research on them, finding the benefits. And in most of them, we found that actually the Stokian benefits using our in vitro studies, where you do your study in a petri dish or in a test tube, you find benefits and then you proceed, you work with clinical people, then they also demonstrate that there are benefits. Most definitely uh, interested in all of uh, the science uh, that is going on and especially because it's women who are focused in the science. It's 11.30. We're going to go to Nomsam Luli with the news headlines and we'll be back with our guests. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Let's go to some of your voice notes as we celebrate women in science. Uh, talking with uh, Dr. Reva Balmahun, who's a CSIR research group leader for artificial intelligence, alongside to Dr. Nomusa Lamini, food scientist and CSIR principal researcher. Uh, good day, SAFM. Um, it's really encouraging to hear such ladies, uh, you know, with beauty and brains. And I'm definitely going to be put listening to the podcast of this with my daughter um, because I think she should uh, hear this and then uh, just a quick lighted question to the lady that specializes in AI um, is the future that we see in movies like uh, Terminator possible with AI where machines plot against us to take over us because we're not good for this planet <laughs> okay thanks bye sure Patricia hi and to your guests I'm incredibly incredibly fascinated for starters but also very inspired by the women you're talking to i'm an academic myself though i'm in the social sciences and i chose the social sciences because i was never really good at issues that have to do with science and hard science if i can call it that mathematics and the works i really want to find out from them what do they think helps anyone really to do well in those subjects because I battled um, and there are times even with present day where I feel as though had I been good with numbers and science perhaps I would have been a lot farther in my life as opposed to where I am now. Any advice? Uh, Patricia this is the equal from Deben KZN. The uh, doctor there talking about food uh, what what is the main problem with the food that we eat today is the fact that it goes through a lot of unnecessary chemicals I've got a very small farm a very small farm I plant my uh, vegetables and fruits uh, only for my family, if, if I may call it that way. Sometimes I do give to the shop. But none of them have chemicals. The seeds I use, no chemicals. The, the way I grow them up, no chemicals. Herbicides, pesticides, non-chemicals. Why can't we grow food like that? Why do we have to go through all the unnecessary science and everything while this science has been there uh, through our forefathers and foremothers? Very interesting questions from all of you. And I'm glad that an academic within the sciences um, has uh, sent in their message. I'm going to hand over firstly to Dr. Lamini to respond around the food. Why, why, why? <laughs> Doctor, please respond. 
Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. My brother there who's called is very right. When we grow our food, usually there's no need to add chemicals. We just rely on nature. They call it organically produced. And I'm glad that he says he's running a farm, a small farm, producing enough fruit and vegetables. Actually, fruit and vegetables, the first choice for human beings is to eat unprocessed fruits and vegetables with no chemicals. Well, vegetables, you cook some of them to improve palatability, but food... Actually, this year, which is 2021, is the International Year of Fruits and Vegetables, all because of the nutrients that it contains. And why do we use herbicides? Why do we use uh, pesticides? Um, You know, when you go to large-scale production of food crops especially, you find that you get a concentration of... um, let's say pests or insects that would destroy your crop. Remember, the world population is growing. We are at, we're currently at seven, sitting, almost sitting at 7 billion. And the world has to produce enough food. Yes, if you have a small farm and you're producing for, for your 5, 10 um, children, it's enough to, if you lose maybe part of the crops. But most of the world today, they rely on crops that are grown by other people, the big farmers. And these cannot afford to lose their crops. Remember, they also invest a lot of money. And um, and remember, I said, we also have natural insects. That will destroy your crops. But you can imagine with monoculture where you are growing one crop, those insects will reproduce if they're not controlled. I'm not saying that I support it, but I'm saying there is a reason so that we can feed the world. Um, there's also these days, well, I don't want to go into GMOs where you have... Um, like crops that are resistant to attack by insects. And of course, yes, the first choice, no, no chemicals, no pesticides, liquid processing, and um, eating this fresh and get nutrients from nature. Fruit and vegetables, that's the year of, um, that's the 2020, 2021 is the year of the fruit and vegetables. And I'm glad, um, I wish I could just, um, have access to those organically grown vegetables and fruits. We do have them on the market, but they would cost a lot. I'm telling you they're quite expensive. I think it's also the certification of um, organic uh, foods that... uh pushes up the price of uh, the food. Can I go now to Dr. Balmahoon? Um, Can you respond to some of our A-teamers voice notes? Dr. Balmahoon, are you there? Yes, Let's go ahead and respond. Um, so firstly, there was a question related to a future with robots and, and them taking over and whether or not that would happen. Um, I think for me, this is quite um, an exciting um, question. The first aspect about it is I think it's important to address um, cognitive biases that exist because in my view, I think that um, this is entirely up to us. A future with robots is something that is going to take place. However, it's about how we integrate with with um, the robotic world and about our cognitive biases associated with that. So when I speak about bias, I mean that each of us comes into the world um, and each developer that's coding algorithms codes with certain um, previous experiences um, and uses their background um, as a way of guiding them through um, the actual coding process. Now, these biases are shaped based on our experiences of the world. And it's important for us to ensure that we reduce biases in our algorithms. 
um, we're consistently working at CSIR with more and more diverse teams and domain experts in order to combat these these biased perspectives. So I firmly believe that the more diversity we have within our teams, the more we'll be able to reduce bias in our algorithms. If we think about simple algorithms like predicting um, what items um, in a store a person's going to purchase going forward, we actually need to understand how people think. But if I'm coding based on my background and my experience, it's going to be quite um, narrow. Um, we need, and that's the reason that we need more and more diverse teams looking at at these specific algorithms. And I do think that by using this approach going forward, we will have a world in which uh, robotic entities and human entities are able to interact, but one in which we function in harmony. Well, uh, it's uh, 20 minutes uh, to midday, and I'd like you to call in, ask your questions or give us comments around, uh, you know, the way things are in the sciences and how women are making such great strides. It's uh, 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp 0614-104-107. Look, I, for one, am thinking of Ahmad Dumbe, Dr. Zamini. I love Amadumbe, but mm-hmm. I struggle to find Amadumbe when I'm in Gauteng. When I'm in KZN, there's there's too much Amadumbe, and I just enjoy myself in Gauteng, and I go to other provinces of um, of the country, and you can't find Amadumbe. Then I move out of South Africa a bit into uh, maybe uh, Malawi and so on, and uh, further up in the west and the north of Africa, and there's a lot of Amadumbe, even bigger ones, yams, right? Why is it that we can't find ways of making sure that things like yams are cultivated throughout um, our our country, but also are able to be preserved? Because I know there's a lot of health benefits in yams, Amadoum. Yes, definitely. Yeah, actually, that's an interesting one, because part of our research at CSR was looking at producing products from Amadoumbe. You know, with Amadoumbe, you know, when you dig them from the ground, they'll only store for a certain period. And after that, you either have to process it fresh or process it into, into chips. In terms of the availability that you raise, you can find it in, uh, in KZN. Amadoumbe grows in, a, in, in warm, humid areas. And some of, some of the areas where Amadoumbe could grow, the people there haven't adopted them as yet. They are nutritious, as you rightfully say, and they have other health benefits being natural. In terms of them being available in other parts of Africa as you go up north, you find that as you go up north, the temperature gets warmer, it gets wetter. (laughs) So it's all about the weather. But also, we also need to maybe... um, you know, like you can grow a crop anywhere as long as you know the cultivation practices. So you need to adopt methods where it should be able to grow even in Houten, not just uh, KZN. And also um, in terms of the eating habits of the people, most people have never heard of what Amatumbe is. <laughs> You're from KZN, which is quite interesting because Amatumbe is... Um, it's, 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 it's one of those um, root crops that is underutilized, and we need to really uh, push up the utilization of these. I know we have things like potatoes, you know, the Irish potatoes, which are exotic. We have sweet potatoes. 
Now we also have other varieties of sweet potatoes that are high in, in nutrients, for example, the orange flesh, which are high in beta carotene, and other carotenoids that have health benefits. I'm doing that too. We need to do enough research and convince even our our developers of cultivation methods, which is Agriculture Research Council, Department of Agriculture, to then maybe promote production in other areas. And again, as I said, we don't just promote production with up, up, without uptake. You need to also promote other people consuming them. Because mm. you don't want to grow a farm of a and then suddenly you find, oh, even exporting it to other countries, there are also restrictions in terms of the phytosanitary because you don't want to move close from one area to another, you could be spreading diseases. You know what we're saying? That we want to avoid using pesticides as much as possible. So you might take a disease from South Africa to maybe, let's say, Malawi <laughs> through Amatum because they're growing the soil. Mm. So, Let me yeah. go to Amos in the Middleburg. Good morning, Amos. Good afternoon. Uh, and uh, I'm appreciative of the discussion you're having there uh, with the two ladies. I just want to ask Dr. Uh, Lamini to say, SCFIR, uh, the work they do, do you have programs where you can assist uh, small businesses, especially with the, I will call it the, the cold food chain, processing of food uh, that is sold in the, in the retail stores? Do, do you have uh, such programs? Thank you. Thank you for the question, Dr. Zamin. Okay, thank you, Amos, for that question. Yes, we have a program that will assist small food processing businesses. But of course, we have to apply. We normally have a call once or twice a year. We get some funding from the Department of Science and Technology or even from TIA. It's a competitive funding. You apply and you present your business idea, and you have to show that you've either done a concept product or you have an idea of your market. And yeah, and then we can assist you through technology support, product development, uh, process development, and even adaptation of technologies. If you don't have facilities to do that, we will guide you to facilities that will assist you. We we also partner with other. Um, other stakeholders to even provide even more support, like let's say business um, business development and business plans, so that you can even apply for more funding. Because we just give you funding just to start off, just to get a product and do market testing, but you need bigger funding then to you know to put up your facilities. And I'm I'm coming to you now, um, uh, Dr. Balmahoon, with the. Um, Artificial intelligence, earlier you said that we can work together, you know. Um, we can have a future where, you know, robots and humans are able to work together and sync within, you know, this uh, global world of ours. But how can we ensure that in our education system, um, we are opening up to our children technology because you can only imagine if technology is not being taught well at a basic education level. Once we have to live with robots, a lot of people will not be able to um, navigate around the world. I think that there's two aspects that need to be investigated or um, expanded on here. The first is um, the soft aspect, which is developing a sense of um, empathy, um, looking at compassion, looking at those human aspects um, that robotic entities may or may not possess in the future and understand 
understanding how these operate. So I think that when um, more curriculum is introduced surrounding these aspects, it could contribute um, to a lot of value. I also think that teaching from first principles in terms of maths and science um, becomes very important. Um, it's quite easy for um, everyone to to jump on the bandwagon of becoming a coder. Everyone wants to be a developer and a coder now. However, I think what's more important is to delve into the first principles beyond that and to try and understand how these algorithms actually function, but from the basic maths and science principles, because it all develops from there. And I think that if curriculum has um, these these basic understandings in there, then it, it will be pivoted to succeed. Now, in terms of questions here, M. N. Mpumalanga says, uh, why is the healthy food so expensive and food that is not good for you cheap? Mm-hmm. And uh, she follows on to say, do we still have master seeds or do we only have genetic seeds? Okay, I missed the last bit. Do we still have what? Master seeds, or is it only genetic seeds? Generic seeds? Master master seeds, you mean? Yes, master ah. seeds. That's what. So I'm reading what she's saying, Dr. Okay, Zamine. Okay. I don't know what yeah. she means. I, I, think, I think I can. <laughs> Why is healthy food expensive? <laughs> Actually, healthy food is not supposed to be expensive. Like I mentioned before, if you grow your own vegetables, you buy your seeds, you plant your garden, you have your vegetables there fresh, free from pesticides, you have a fruit tree, fruit take a little bit longer, but they will eventually grow. <laughs> That's healthy food. I mean, you don't have to go far. Just your back garden will give you healthy food. Now, if you are going to go and say, oh, I'm just going to try and buy healthy food, of course, it will cost you a little bit. Because remember the processing also. Um, also, if I buy food, let's say from Farmer A, and I sell it in my shop, I put a markup, right? So the price goes up. And I also have to present it in a certain way. So it all depends on where you get this healthy food. And um, I think the other reason of why healthy food tends to be more expensive is also our perception as well. Um, remember, um, I don't want to say um, unhealthy foods. Um, if you are going to buy, let's say, a mineral drink, it's, it's basically water, a little bit of colorant, and lots of sugar. Compare that to an apple. Compare that to a, a banana that has to be produced by a farmer and brought to you. You see, so yeah, so those are the differences. And I'm saying you don't have to look far to get healthy food. Even your own home garden will provide that. You walk into the supermarket, you go and buy fresh vegetables. Yes, you can. You can say some healthy food is expensive. I think I, I spoke about extracting the active ingredients. If I extract, an, let's say I extract uh, polyphenols, I put them in a tablet. It won't cost the same as you eating an apple, which contains almost the same compounds. Mm. Okay. So, yeah. So, it's the processing of the so-called healthy foods that you get in terms of, in form of tablets, supplements, they'll be more expensive than your food. I mean, vitamin C, for example, I normally buy a <laughs> um, hundred chewable table, tablets because um, it's easy for kids then to ingest. 
um, that will cost you over a hundred rands, right? But if can you imagine if I just substituted oranges, which I know are high in vitamin C, and other fruits which are also high in vitamin C, or even just vegetables, even other vegetables? There's a difference. So, so in terms of the seeds, the uh, Doctor, in terms of the seeds, do we have, I think what this uh, listener is uh, referring to are original seeds as opposed to yes. uh, generic seeds. We still have original seeds, but remember, breeders also try and um, and optimize the, the seeds in terms of the, the different traits. With, uh, with the original seeds, we allow natural, you know, selection to take place. You, you, you grow your maize, they call them the, what varieties is that? The ordinary varieties that are found, let's say in the rural areas, and then you get the ones that are GMO, where you enhance certain properties of the seeds. They, they, they are still there, but of course, if you look at how then our our production, if we're upscaling our production, we have a choice between those ones. Okay. Oh, yeah, the seeds are still there, definitely. All right. It's just a matter of searching for the right ones. Mkundi in uh, Limpopo, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, and how are you? Good. Uh, I wanted, uh, I I work for Rembe, this municipality. And we have realized that uh, nearly every fruit that we buy is not indigenous to South Africa. And because we are a biosphere reserve declared by the UN, we are trying to say that there is uh, indigenous knowledge of producing juices and other foodstuffs from the indigenous trees. So I want to know if uh, Dr. Janini could uh, partner with us in that process. We, have, uh, we are working with the Universal Vendor Food, Food Science uh, uh, section. All right, Dr. Zamin. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that exciting news. We can partner. We do work with uh, communities, especially trying to make products from indigenous foods or indigenous plants, making teas and different other uh, components. So, um, yeah, we, we can partner. You can, um, I don't know if I can give my details, <laughs> just drop us a mess, a, a, an email to CSR. Um, CSR, um, usually, if you go to our website, we have a, 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 like, like a where you can put inquiries, CSR inquiries. Just drop an email there, I'll, I'll receive it. So, yeah, we, we do welcome partnerships in, that, in those areas. That's part of no. our work. Okay. Um, all right, so Mkundi, that's it. Go to the website for CSIR and uh, submit your email to them, and uh, they are definitely willing to partner with you. I'm going to read this message uh, from uh, one of our listeners, Mbik, or, who says, I personally cannot encourage young people to go and do engineering-related courses. For There's quite a number of people with such qualifications still unemployed, and our government is doing nothing about it while you um, would continue hearing them saying there's a shortage in science and technology and to make it even worse i am not thinking i'm now thinking of switching to do a postgraduate certificate in education because i am tired of sitting with a degree and i am in possession of a bsc in food technology 
Uh, it's it's a very sad reality, this. Uh, but on the other hand, I want to ask, what, wh- how would you encourage young people um, uh, to get into this field and also to 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 be patient or even create their own job opportunities within uh, the BSc field, Dr. Lamini? And I'll pose the same question to you as well, Dr. Balmahun. Yes, for for young people having like a BSc degree, that's the entry point. And also, depending on, on, on your passes, most universities will require that you get certain marks for you to progress even further. In terms of the job market, you have to keep searching. And if you can't find a job, there are opportunities in terms of on-job or experiential training or internship. These are advertised um, through the DSI, NRIF, and even the the the, the, the agricultures they also advertise. Or recently, the Department of Agriculture they had an opportunity. To so I would encourage this young person to look up. Um, I know it's sometimes it's hard to get a job with just your first degree. And and yeah, I, I feel for you. But if once you get you start getting experience, because I know at PSR I've trained several interns. By the time they leave. I mean, they don't even have to finish the internship. Some of them, they're already ready for the market. Employers are interested in people with basic training. And mm-hmm. there's current opportunities at CSR. And I'll and encourage them to apply, even for internship, or even coming as a visiting um, student. You say, oh, I just want to come and get some experience. We want to see our way. We'll show you around. Okay. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, yeah. uh, Dr. Balmahun, how do you encourage uh, young people to enter into this field? I think that the first thing to note is that the future is going to be one of um, fast change. Um, being able to navigate turbulence is going to become quite a key skill. I think that the world of certifications is opening up, so it's not necessarily about um, getting a formal degree. Um, you know, there's quite a few certifications now, specifically in the tech environment that has opened up. I would encourage anyone who wants to get involved in the field to continuously look at opportunities. Specifically, when we speak about AI, it would be opportunities for anything related to machine vision, to natural language processing, to learning from data, um, image generation, things like speech generation and recognition. So any aspects surrounding these, um, you know, if, if online courses can be found, that, that would be fantastic. But also just to expand, even at CSIR right now within our research group, um, very much um, alongside um, Dr. Glamini's comments about interns, we actually do have quite a few interns on our team right now working together um, on an education sector project. And um, we constantly are on the lookout for talent. So I think look for opportunities. Um, and the last thing, of course, would be not to be afraid. Um, I think science and technology is something that um, many people are afraid about, and I would encourage um, that to be um, blocked out, <laughs> as in to, to, to not to be afraid of it and just to merely understand math and science. Let's go to voice notes uh, to wrap up our conversation. Patricia, I have to say this because I keep saying, I keep saying it, this is now the fourth time I've said it. There's plenty of work for engineers in South Africa. I have a daughter who's currently working um, for a South African company and she's on her third trip to the DRC. She's a chemical engineer. But she wouldn't work in a rural town. She loves living in Cape Town. 
and she's happy for the premium she gets paid to go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. She's 23 years old. On this note, uh, I'd like to thank both our guests for joining us. It's been such a great pleasure. I'm leaving this beautiful song to you, the ladies, as you celebrate Women's Day. Aretha Franklin, may goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success.